This is Learning Innovation, the teaching and learning podcast, also known as LittlePod. We are created by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, located in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. In the spirit of equity, diversity and inclusion, and Nitsitapi Simstan, or real thinking, we play host to a spectrum of guests from the teaching and learning community. As we highlight and explore innovation in education, we hope to kindle warm conversations, expand perspectives, and foster lasting partnerships today, tomorrow, and beyond. The future of learning starts now. Okay, and welcome to episode number 44 of The Little Pod. Our guest today is Rosemary Shannon, instructor and chair of the Massage Therapy Program at Lethbridge College. We are talking about narrative teaching techniques to provide learners with more authentic and lived-in learning experiences. Welcome, Rosemary. Thank you, Donna. Okie, I'm really excited to be here talking about my narrative teaching technique that I've been utilizing in my program. Rosemary, can you define narrative teaching and can you explain how you use this technique in your classroom? I consider narrative teaching to essentially be a technique that allows me to action the students immediately into a hands-on technique. I've been doing a bit of research to try and find some more um, some more research that actually better illustrates what I'm doing, but I haven't been able to at this point. So I don't think anybody else is really doing what I'm doing in my labs. And when and why did you first try this type of instructing? Uh, I tried this because initially when I first started teaching the hands-on technique portion of my program, I was doing a demonstration and then turning the students loose. And what I found was I was losing a lot of time to having the students just static watching me. And I kind of liken it to the friends generation. They would come, they would watch, then they would do. And at some point I realized that I wasn't capturing the learning the way I wanted them to capture the learning. They were spending a lot of time just sort of observing, and it didn't feel authentic for a hands-on program. When we talked about our program, we really pushed and focused on this is a hands-on learning opportunity, and it felt like, well, no, this is kind of a hands-on learning opportunity and an eyes-on learning opportunity. And I wanted to really focus on that hands-on piece. What I found was it captured back for an average classroom about 14 hours of practice time for them. You know, when I looked at the amount of time I was spending doing demonstration, that was 14 hours out of the 48 hours where they really weren't doing anything. They were just standing there, observers on the deck. I wanted to get them in the rowboat, so to speak, really leaning into the oars, leaning into their practice. That's a significant amount of time. That's a very significant amount of time. Um, And then when you add in all of the extra sort of labs where there's, you know, time lost for sort of writing pieces or time lost for, you know, other activities, because you don't want everything in your lab to only be all we're going to do is massage. You want to bring in other elements. Uh, And so, you know, when you're looking at you know, when you consider time to be a resource, this wasn't good use of our time. This was actually a really poor practice. 
this technique, this really simple approach that I took to sort of switching up my classroom netted me back just an incredible an incredible opportunity to really bring the learning to life for them from day one. You know, I, I think you'd be surprised to hear that I actually have my students touching and doing massage on day one. The first time I step into the lab with them, we get them actually putting their hands on each other, learning the practice of massage. So I think it's just a wonderful way to bring that to bring the practice of massage to life for them from the very start. So let's pretend um, I'm your student for a moment. Can you walk me through the first day or the first teaching moment in your massage therapy class? Well, my first teaching moment will be like, hi, Donna. And guess what? You know what? Today, we're going to learn how to do the posterior leg and glute massage. So what I want you to do is find a partner. We're going to set up the table. I know that in Taylor's lab last week, you practiced draping. So set up your table, get your partner to get undressed, lie down on the table, and then just stand next to the table. In a moment, I'm going to start talking to you about what it is we're going to do. Then I will guide you through. So we're going to undrape the leg. So you, you know, lift up the sheet, tuck it under their upper thigh. Now place some lotion in your hands, take a deep breath, starting at the ankle. Just lightly move your hands up your partner's leg and then bring your hands back down towards your body. You want your hands nice and loose. You want your fingers close together and take another nice deep breath and just gently push a little harder and bring your hands up the back of the leg. And now coming back down towards you, bring your hands down the sides of the leg because the leg is more than just the top surface it has sides. And so we're going to come down the side back towards the ankle, go lightly over the back of the knee. And I just, as we get more skills, because that's a really simple skill, that's just effleurage. As the skills become more complex, I bring in more illustrative language. So when we're going to ring, so what I'm going to do now is have you turn and so you're facing across the table. So you're not looking down their body, you're looking across their legs, across the table. Place your hands on the middle of the thigh and now move your hands apart. It's like you're wringing out a dish towel. So bring your hands down around the side of the thigh, really squeezing and drawing them back across, pushing into tissue. Really try to feel those hamstrings underneath your hands as you're pulling them apart. So I introduce a lot of, you know, a lot of imagery into it. And I, what I really like is they're not tense. Um, when I would do the demonstration, and they have a written list and then I turn them loose and it's like, so now start. I'd look around the room and these students would be all tense and their shoulders would be bunched up by their ears because they were trying to remember what it what was being done at that little prompt. And the prompt doesn't, you know, it's just a single line of text, really doesn't sort of give them a lot of information. So then if they've made notes, now they're trying to read their prompt and kind of like figure out, well, you know, what note applies to this little prompt and you just see them, they'd be tense and they, they'd spend a lot of time with their hands really still. That was another piece, you know, like I lose 14 hours just to talk, you know, just to show them the routine. Then I lose all the time or not me, the students lose all of the time in the classroom as they're standing there reading and they're not moving their hands. They're just standing there with their hands on their partner, trying to read their notes and then trying to kind of fumble their way through and I'm one person 
with, you know, up to 18 potential st stations in the classroom trying to get to each group of students at least once during that half of, you know, that half of the class that they have to practice. With my narrative approach, they're nice and relaxed because they're listening. It's like they're listening to music in their earbuds. This is a plugged in generation. I think we need to sort of face our students where they are um, on our sort of social paradigm. And right now our students are, they're a listening generation. They've been watching and listening to YouTube videos. They walk around listening to their music or their podcasts all the time. This really meets them technologically in the classroom where they are, even though there's no technology to massage. I mean, your technology is your hands, but I meet them sort of in their in their oral space. you I heard you use the term illustrative language. And I felt like as you were um, walking me through that, like I could really visualize it very clearly. Is, is that illustrative language, is that really an important piece of this? I think you have to bring the, for, for me this works because I paint a picture with my words and I take them on this journey. I tell them a story. My voice will rise and lower depending upon, you know, the intensity that I want them to bring to the stroke. Um, if I want them to slow down their weight, I slow down my, my length, like I slow down the processing speed of my voice. So it, it, it illustrates it from a, I use a lot of descriptive nouns, adjectives, adverbs. I really try to bring the routine to life, so to speak. And then I illustrate it again with the tone of my voice, the speed of my voice, the lyrical quality of the of what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to tell them a story, but not just tell them a story because I don't want them just sitting there listening. I want to tell them a story and take them on the journey of that part of the massage. I think it's important because it's it brings it to life. You know, we know that you know, we know stories bring material to life. This is, and we use a lot of narrative storytelling in all sorts of um, teaching experiences that our students have. This is sort of twinning that narrative piece to an action piece. Yeah, so it's going well beyond instruction. It, I think so. I think it's a new, uh, I think it's a, it's a unique way to teach a hands-on technique. I feel like this also would fit with um, a range of learners. I think there's more application. I'm, I'm sure other instructors are doing this. Again, I did try to, I did some research and I wasn't able to find a lot about what I'm doing. Um, I, I'd be really interested in talking to other instructors and talking to other researchers because I think this is perhaps something, you, it's unique for massage therapy. And I do believe that it has application for other <clears throat> types of learning or other other programs. I think there are obviously situations where it's probably not the right choice necessarily from the start. And I think there are low stakes and high stakes opportunities where this is, you know, more appropriate than other opportunities. And I think so in nursing, I think, you know, actually, you know, I wouldn't want to have narrative instruction for the first time they ever did an IV start. But I think we could use <clears throat> narrative instruction after they've done a demonstration and then partner them up and then use narrative to get a group of students to do their first IV start after having seen it done. Uh, and so I think this, 
This can be as big as you want, as all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing for my massage routine, or it can be broken down into smaller sections for smaller pieces of information. Can you share um, a favorite aha or light bulb moment that you experienced with a student while applying your narrative teaching style? I think my aha moment are the students that really struggle with the, the written pieces. I think my aha moments are the students who are not confident in their learning because their, their entire sort of educational experience to date has been a parrot and back sort of experience where they've been given a bunch of information, go and learn it. So they'll have a lecture, hear your notes, go and study your notes, and then come back into the classroom and, you know, somehow apply that dense material to a piece of paper. And I think for those students who suddenly find themselves able to keep up with their peers, and you can see them, you can see their sort of hesitation at the start, and then you look around the room and at the end of the practice moment, they're standing there and it's like, I finished with my classmates. And it might be the first time they've ever finished with their peers. And they walk out of the room and they're two feet taller. They're just so proud of themselves. And I really like that, you know, like I I look at massage therapy and, you know, I've, I've said this all along, you know, like sometimes the best therapists in our classroom aren't my A plus students. Sometimes my best therapists that walk out of the program at the end of two years are my C and D students. Um, and Or sorry, my B and C students, not my C and D students, my C and B students. They walk out and they go into the community and they're really successful. And these are students that come up to you at the end of their program and say like, you know, I loved massage. I really loved being a student at Lethbridge College. And this was the first time that I was really successful with my learning. And it's like, that's why this works for me. My, my aha moment isn't like one moment. It's, it's those students who come in and they suddenly get that they can learn. They can be successful. Do you feel like the retention, um, like the student's memory or retention of the material is stronger with this technique? Absolutely. Um, I could see this the first few years I did this. Like the first year I did this, I was just like, this is an experiment and it's either going to go sideways or it's going to take off. And I really was like, I might have to like wheel this back in. Like I, I really didn't know. Um, and again, I didn't know because, you know, I'd looked and I hadn't found anything that really looked like what I wanted to try. And so the first year I was just like, whoa, I don't know about this. But I can, you know, if I'm really honest with you, Donna, like I knew that this would work that first year. The second year I did this, I was like, I'm convinced that this is the only way I'm going to do this from now on. Because when I would do the demonstration again, it was they're standing there for an hour. And, you know, we know the research on attention span. We know what the numbers say. And it's not great numbers. This worked because they started actually doing the techniques as they were learning the technique. And then my little voice in their head would kind of sit and register. And we we remember little quotes or little things. We remember, we all have that moment. Well, when I had this conversation with Donna and Donna, you said this. So we know that we retain information that we take in and that we not only do we take that information in that we hear it, but we actually do something with it. And so 
not only did I gain back my 14 hours of demonstration time, I was able to accelerate to independent learning experiences where I don't say anything. I'm just like, here's your assignment. We're going to, you're going to massage the posterior leg today. I'm not going to narrate the routine to you. You're going to do this on your own. And I would see them, you know, doing something very similar to the routine without visual aids, without their notes. They would just, okay, I'm going to massage the posterior leg and they'd start doing it. It was like, this is incredible. Like I'm cutting time. I, I'm, I'm saving us so much more time to actually practice instead of having to stop and start and stop and start. I got, they got going faster. So it was the time-saving element that made you say, that's it. I'm going to try this narrative teaching style. Um, but w- what really made you make the leap? I just was really frustrated with losing so much time where the students would stand and watch. And it's like, you know, if you want to watch people doing massage, like, because at this point in time, this would have been like, probably, I was trying to think the year I started to do this. And I think it was around probably 20, between 27 and 2010. At this point, YouTube was a thing. It's like, if you want to watch people doing massage, like there's an entire internet and you can watch people doing massage. I don't think you're here to watch me do massage. You're here to do massage. And, and it's kind of an ego thing because it's like, guess what, folks? Like, I've done my 10,000 hours of massage to Malcolm Gladwell myself into expert status. You're at like hour one. And, you know, at the end of this semester, you're at hour 48 of classroom time. And that doesn't make any kind of logical sense to me to give, to take 48 hours of your time and to give me 14 hours of that time. So for me, the domino moment was I'm spending so much time doing the massage and they're not doing anything. They're kind of just standing there inert and they're not here to be inert. Really, they're here to learn how to do. And this was my moment of like, it was a moment of sanity because it was like, you need to do. I don't need to do this. You need to do this. And the only way I can get you to do this is if I give you directions. So it's kind of like I'm giving you directions from You know, if I was giving you directions like, so Donna, if you want to drive to Coaldale, what you do is you leave college, you get onto 28th Ave. When you get to Mayor McGrath, you're going to take a left. You're going to go to Scenic Drive and then you're going to take a right and you're going to go down to 43rd Street and take a left. And then when you get to Highway 3, you take another right. So I'm giving you the directions on how to get there. If I wanted to give you directions to get you to drive to Coaldale, I wouldn't drive you to Coaldale, drive you back to Lethbridge, get out of the car and say, now drive to Coldale. I'd be like, here are the directions, follow the path. So for me, it was like, I can set out the breadcrumbs and you can follow along and I can get you to Coldale in a much more efficient, much more reasonable, sort of much more sane approach to it. So for me, that moment of, of clarity was you're doing, I've already done my bit. Now you get to do your bit. And when you're working with students, how do you define that learning success? What does that look like for you? For me, it's really easy. At the end of, at the beginning of December, I can take you into a classroom and I can say, you have 55 minutes to provide Donna with a one hour full body massage. And I can literally say like, here's the lotion. I can press go on the clock. 
and you can complete a full body massage, but that isn't really what you're asking. Like, how can I define success? I can define success when at the end of my first lab, the students can go home and they can practice doing a posterior leg massage with a significant amount of ease. They come back next week and it's, you know, like, did you, you know, did you practice your massage? And, you know, like 90% of them will put their hands up. And I was like, so how was it? And they'll be like, oh, it was really good. Like, I felt really confident. I felt like I knew what I was doing. The odd student will not have done it. And for lots of different reasons, like, you know, like sometimes they don't know anybody in Lethbridge. They don't have the right equipment. Or, and so they'll be like, well, I'm just waiting for my table to come in. There's, there's that moment where it's like you're actually able to replicate, successfully replicate what we did in lab outside of the classroom. And you can come back and tell me. And, you know, we we don't just, I don't just ask them, like, go out and massage somebody. It's like there's a piece attached to it. It's like have the person you work on give you some feedback. And by and large, the feedback is like for their first massage, this was really good. You know, it was, you know, it wasn't as good as my regular therapist. But, you know, I can tell that they're going to be a great therapist. They're confident when they're handling my body. And those are the moments that it's like when I give you feedback, it's kind of can't. <laughs> I'm. I don't want to, not to put too fine a word on it, but essentially I'm paid to give you feedback, you know, and I, I'm paid to give you constructive feedback, not necessarily critical feedback. So I have to be constructive when I give you feedback. But when somebody who is, doesn't have skin in the game beyond getting the massage, when they give them positive constructive feedback, it's like, this is a win. I'll, I'll take that as a win for what we're doing. So what is the difference between constructive and critical feedback? Constructive feedback gives you something to build upon. Like, here's an area where you can make an improvement. Critical feedback is what you're doing isn't working. Do it differently. Well, what do I do differently? That's critical. Or it's like, you're really bad at this. <laughs> you know? like, you're not very good at what you're doing. Um, constructive feedback is, you know, Donna, like I'm watching you as you're doing this massage technique. And I think if you could just relax your hands open up the palm, soften your stance, you'll have, you'll find that it's easier to move into the hamstrings. Do you know where the hamstrings are? I'm going to provide you with some building blocks to, you know, to reconstruct the tower that you're doing. So I'm learning how to do, I, I do pottery on the side, which, you know, makes a lot of sense actually with massage because it's molding something into a new shape. I'm taking you know, with massage, I take tight hamstrings and I lengthen them or I soften them. With pottery, I take a block of clay and I turn it into a vessel. And <clears throat> there's, a, there's a learning piece there too where, you know, this is about, re, you know, I, you can do a lot of pottery for a long time before you really make something that is a useful functional vessel. And it's that same piece. We're constantly tearing down what we're building and rebuilding it. And so I can reuse that clay. I can I can make a mug with that same piece of clay a number of times before it's finished. I can do a lot of massage before I really do a really good massage. So it's reconstructing, it's deconstructing and reconstructing as we move through the material. I can really see the connection between um, your passion for pottery and, and uh, instructing massage. Um, and, and I could hear the 
illustrative language, I think, that you referred to earlier, even as you talked about the constructive feedback. So how does narrative teaching contrast with the teaching style of um, instructor does, student sees, student does, instructor sees? Sort of that traditional model. Well, I think with, you know, instructor does, student does, instructor sees piece, again, it's inert. Like I, I'm either I'm the audience or the student is the audience. I'm never a part of the learning team. So one of us is always going to be on the outside of that equation. So it's a little bit like we put a wall up between us and the learner or the learner and the instructor. With narrative teaching, there's no wall. I'm part of your learning journey. You know, I'm observing, but mostly I'm directing and you're taking that direction. And so that wall has to come down. You have to let me in to your learning experience. And I have to be willing to go into your learning experience. And I think that like this is actually <laughs> light bulb moment. Um, this is, I think, a piece of this teaching style that really does erase a barrier that we we know the barriers there. We haven't really had a way to navigate through the barrier, not necessarily around the barrier, but we, we need to navigate through that barrier. And this navigates us. It takes us through that barrier to the other side. And we meet the student where they are. You know, I can't... What I like about this is... <clears throat> It also removes, and again, it's that student who, you know, for the first time ever, they finish with their peers. It levels the playing field in the classroom from day one. You know, like you're going to have students who are going to be more, you know, quicker to pick things up, especially with that, you know, um, observation practice model. With this model, we all start at the same point. So we all start on that level playing field and we finish at the same time on that same level playing field and they pick it up sort of sequentially with each other. So not only does it remove the barrier between the instructor and the student, but it removes the barrier between the peer the peer to peer relationship with their with their classmates. Yeah, because they're experiencing the same experiencing things in the same moment at the same time and it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, it's really a very special experience for for the classmate. They're more they become more reliant on each other as a team. So instead of having your little groups of students that kind of like they parcel off, they interact with each other more. And that ultimately helps learning as well. That helps learning, I think, immeasurably. So if there's other instructors um, listening, as I'm sure there are, that um, would be curious to try this, you know, I, I can see j here just listening to you that there would be other uh, subject areas and other fields where this might be really helpful. Um, how could they go about learning to do this? Um, because, you know, listening to you, like you you have very descriptive language in what you're doing. So what recommendations would you have for instructors who'd like to try this technique too? I think like pick something that has, you know, a reasonable chance of success. Uh, and, you know, like I, you know, I, I pretty much decided to do this kind of like one day I was like, I think I'm going to try this and try to do it this way. 
but I didn't do it completely green. I mean, I did think about like, how will I present the information? And so I would like pick a piece of information that you that has a practical application. Think about like, how would I describe how to do this? Like, what are the words that I would use that um, will make sense to the learner? And, and, and sometimes you have to kind of be willing to kind of go to that place with your language skills where you're describing something in sort of multiple variations of this and sort of think about like how would I present this and how would would that make sense if I heard that and then honestly just try it I mean I'm going to say like I'm an instructor seeking other instructors interested in doing this because I'd like to do some research around this um, I think it presents us a really great opportunity to deliver a unique body of research to the learning community. Um, so instructors seeking other instructors looking to do research over here. So, okay, so I'm assuming it's safe to say they're please welcome contact to contact me. you, yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yep. please contact yep. me and ask me any questions or, you know, if you're willing to partner with me, even better. <laughs> well, and it's like anything, when you have that community of practice, you can share ideas. And, and I know when you were mentioning you know, it's it can be difficult when you know a subject really well to go to that place where you don't know it so well and think of that language that you I, might I, use. I think so. Like, I think you have to be, you know, I don't want to say you have to be willing to, you don't have to be willing to make a fool of yourself, but you kind of have to be willing to put yourself out there. And it's a little bit, I think, you know, as instructors, we're really comfortable standing in front of a classroom and talking to students there's a quality to this experience that's a little bit different. You need to be willing to be vulnerable with your with your presentation. Um, it's it's not really it's not standing in front of a group of people and delivering a lecture. There's there's a quality to this teaching moment that goes beyond that. You're breaking the fourth wall, so to speak. Yeah, it sounds like you're very much in the moment when you're doing that you're very much in the moment and i and i believe that's actually also what contributes to it. again it's you've moved through that wall like you are going to break that fourth wall with your students and be on the same side with them well that's wonderful and i really hope that um you do get some instructors reaching out to you because this would be fascinating research and uh, thank you so much for sharing this with us today it's been absolutely fascinating Thank you for inviting me to do this podcast, Donna. I was really excited when you mentioned that. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Rosemary Shannon as guest. Jordana Gagnon was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Janice Michelle, Daryl Benebeck, and Kelsey Jansen for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more episodes, head to our website, learninginnovation.ca. Thanks for listening and take care.